back to the Behaviors and Trauma and Education podcast. Last week, we talked about some strategies that we could implement in the classroom for some of our students that have experienced trauma. This week, we're going to talk about how do we identify these students. The big thing for us to understand here is to know that there's two types of behavior, internalizers and externalizers. I'm going to give you some examples of behaviors that students will do for each of the um, pendulums. And you can then decide and think about students in your classroom and see if you can identify any. Our internalizers are our students who are often sitting quietly. They're fidgeting, so they might have a pencil that they're hitting under their desk. Their knee might be rocking up and down. Students that don't like to speak in class, they seem withdrawn, and they're, they're often not engaged in class. They don't want to talk. They may be daydreaming. On the other side of the pendulum is our externalizers. These are your students that act out normally. They have some profanity, negative impulses. These are your students that probably get um, office discipline referrals, students who have loud voices, hyperactive, can't keep their hands to themselves. And when you can see these two different types of behaviors, there's not one that's more important than the other. And these are often some of our students that have some level of trauma that's happened to them throughout their lives. By our students doing these things, they are communicating with us. These behaviors aren't negative behaviors, and when we can shift our mindset to understanding that this is the way that our students are communicating with us, that there's something going on. What is the function of this behavior? When a behavior happens, whether it's an internalizer or an externalizer, what is the function of the behavior? Why is the student doing it? And what do we need to do as educators to help that student? These students are generally not capable of telling us X, Y, and Z happen on this day, at this time, at this place. So when we are seeing these things, it helps us communicate and it helps raise questions and an awareness to dive a little deeper into these students and kind of get to the bottom of what's going on to meet their needs. So when you see these behaviors in class, this is often a time that you should work with whatever your guys' MTSS framework is or whatever your guys' mental health pro process is for referring students. Oftentimes it would be to the counselor talk to the counselors, see if the student needs to meet with a counselor, talk to social workers, see if there's any files that have been opened up and if there's any previous paperwork talking about some of the things that have happened in the student's life. A lot of times we can open the file up and see that this student has a history of trauma and things that have happened and then we can implement some of those strategies to help this student. Again, a lot of these students are going to be students who always have their hoods up. This student won't put their hood down. They won't listen to me. They're always wearing it. This student needs this, this type of consequence, this, that, and the other thing. What we need to continue to understand, for a lot of these students, the hood is a sense of security. It's a security blanket. It keeps them safe. And it's often the thing that keeps them regulated throughout the day. These students, as we talked about the brain before, the brain is constantly under arousal and trying to see where that grizzly bear is going to attack them, what the next threat is. And when they have their hood up, they feel safe. You'll notice that a lot of times this hood is the exact same thing that they wear over and over. It'll be the same sweatshirt the majority of the time. And that's not a reflection of a socioeconomic status, but rather it's a reflection of them being comfortable, them being able to relax their brain, get out of their brain stem, and understand that this is something that keeps me safe. A simple rule of thumb that I kind of found out, I don't have any evidence to back it up, but something that I found that's worked the majority of the time with the hood is two questions that I ask myself. If a student looks me in the eyes while they have their hood up, I know that they're kind of being a stinker and that they're capable of taking it down. If I ask a student to take their hood down and talk to me and they won't make eye contact with me, 
I generally know that there's something going on. The student's withdrawn. There's something going on. There's a bigger picture. And then that's my green light to figure out and follow our frameworks and our processes for giving the student the support that he or she needs. So again, two questions. If you talk to the student and they look you straight in the eyes and they have their hood up, most of the time that's being a little bit defiant and being a stinker and not following the school rules. But if it's, if it's a student that won't look you in the eyes when you ask them to take it down, it's a student that's withdrawn. There's something on their mind. They need their hood up. They feel safe. They feel comfortable. And it keeps them regulated and safe in their environment. So what can we do? What can we do as educators when we see some of these students? And what are some of the things that we can do immediately when we see the internalizer versus the externalizer? Number one, have their basic needs been met? Have they received food, water, and a place to be safe, a safe shelter, and somewhere to shut their eyes within the recent hours? If these three things have not been met, then we can generally anticipate some type of behavior following. Do they need a minute to decompress in a safe space? If they walked in with all this lighter fluid, kind of like we talked about last week, they may need a spot to regulate, to calm down, to use some of their coping strategies, and to not have to be forced into some academic tasks and a bad transition. Do they need a fidget? If you notice that he was an internalizer or she was an externalizer and they're always fidgety and they're hyperactive, they can't sit still, maybe they need a fidget so that they're, they can get their mind off of things and they can wiggle around appropriately. One of the things that I strongly feel is with some of these students, when we can tell that there's something going on, we notice some of those internalizing and externalizing behaviors, do not ask them what's going on. Unless you're one of the one or two adults in the school that these students trust, do not ask them what's going on. Rather, give them options and continue to give them unconditional love and support. These students are so used to people asking them what's wrong, and then the people that ask them what's wrong abandon them. Or teachers in the past ask them what's wrong, and then that night social services shows up to their house, their parents get mad at them, they lose every privilege that they have, and that continuum just happens over and over and over again. So if we can avoid asking them what's wrong, unless we are one of the few adults that they truly are willing to open up to and are trained to work with some of those conversations, let's steer away from poking at these students and rather give them that unconditional love and the different types of support that we can prov provide within our classroom environment. If these things still continue to not work, I'll then refer them to your school's mental health team, kind of like I talked about before. Generally, the first step here would be a referral to our counselors, our social workers, and then they take things into their hands with whatever the school's framework and policies are. The last thing that I want to leave you guys with is early intervention. If you see any of these internalizing and externalizing behaviors and you feel something in your gut or in your heart that's happening and it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel like the developmentally appropriate behavior for that age, Reach out to your counselors. Reach out to previous teachers that have had these students in the past. Look into the student's file. Go into your school. Go into the files and go read the file on your own. See what some of the things are that are happening with these students. And a lot of times we can see and find reasons why our students are acting the way that they're acting. Thank you for listening and I hope that this gives you some ideas, things to think about, and some strategies to implement with inside of your classrooms.